Welcome to River Community Church. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. Thrilled you're all here with us this morning. I'm still dancing in September. Like, that was super fun to start out the service with. That was great. Uh, actually, there's another reason why we played that song. We are going to be dancing all September. We are going to be celebrating all September long here at RCC. We're kicking off a new series next week with it. We're also going to be making a big, significant really significant announcement each and every week of September. There are some awesome things happening, really exciting things, and you got to be here for it. So starting next week, we'll have a really, really big announcement, and you guys can be here for that starting next week. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm excited to continue dancing all September long. I hope that's going to be fun with you guys. Uh, also, uh, we have some business to attend to this morning in the sense that we are finishing up our Life Hacks series for the summer. We've been working all the way through the book of Proverbs, finding all this wisdom, all these life hacks for how God would have us live our lives. And it's been awesome. As we finish it up, though, we're coming to the final three chapters of the book, chapters 29 through 31. And what's interesting about these chapters is Solomon teaches us, or he writes the the 29th chapter, but then he includes some extra stuff. Uh, two other additional chapters on the end that we get to learn from this morning. So that's going to be a great finish to our our uh, our life hack series. And, and as we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, we've been looking at it as this book that gives us this wisdom. And, and over and over again, we see it pointing to these life hacks, ways to live with God's wisdom instead of our own. And I think these final three chapters, you'll find out shortly, are no different. But as we've gone through the book, I've been reminded of this saying that, that I've heard. Uh, and it's one of those sayings where you might hear it if, if you uh, find yourself in Las Vegas. Uh, maybe you guys know the, the saying, it's, it's what happens in Vegas. Why do you guys know that one? And no, that's not the one we're talking about this morning. It's not that one. It's a different one. Uh, it's actually this one. If you were in Vegas or any casino anywhere, you, you'd probably hear somebody say at some point, the house always, the house always wins. I'm glad you guys know that one. Uh, what that means is this, if you don't know, it means that the house or the casino it tends to stack the odds so high in, in the favor of the house that they can't, over the long run, lose. They stack it so they're always going to be the ones that wins, which basically means this. If you find yourself in Vegas, your best bet is not to go and play the slots, it's not to go in and play a game or two of blackjack at the blackjack table, or even to play a little roulette. Your best bet when you're in Vegas is to buy stock in the casino because that is the only way that you guys are going to win. That's the only sure bet. The casino always makes a profit because the house always wins. Here's why that's a good picture of the wisdom in Proverbs. Proverbs, it's filled with wisdom, but that wisdom consistently points to the very same thing, the exact same thing. In the end, the house, or in our case, God always wins. And God's ways always win. In life, there are tons of short-term ways to, to win in life. There are all kinds of shortcuts to maybe cheat yourself ahead a little bit. And they can be really tempting. They can be really, like, they seem like good ideas in the moment. But they never last like we think they will. As we've been looking through Proverbs, Proverbs is this clinic on how to play the long game in life. It's how to trust God's ways over the shortcuts that can be so tempting so often. 
Now, there's one more thing to add here. In Vegas, if you're playing uh, cards or whatever, the, the house always wins, which pretty much always means you lose. Like the house wins and basically always you lose. That's just how it always works. But with God, it's different. With God, God always wins, but you don't have to lose. You can actually join God in the winning. You can join God in following his ways and actually be part of that and, and not be the one that's losing. For example, uh, he gives us an example of the ways that we should live life in Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. It says this, Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Have any of you seen that in real time? Like, you're watching football or maybe the preview of the game, and there's somebody who's, who's a lot of talk. Like, they're just talking up their team, talking up themselves, how much they're just going to crush their opponents. And then the game happens, and they just fall all over the field. They fall on their face. They're just getting trounced by the other team. Have any of you ever seen that happen like that? Maybe, like, UFC is a, a famous one where people, like, talk about how badly they're going to beat the other opponent, and then they get trounced. It's, it's a lot of smack talk or whatever you want to call it. It's... It's kind of a story as, as old as time. It's a story as old as any. Thinking your hot stuff and talking about it is a recipe for embarrassment. Bragging on yourself may get you ahead for a little bit, but eventually you're going to come back down to earth. There's this time, Jesus, he, he's at a dinner party, um, and everyone is, is kind of jockeying for position. And you've been there, right? You've been at a party or a, a family gathering where there's a, a table with chairs around it and, and you're trying to find the table or the set of chairs that you best want to sit at, the one that maybe you're excited to be at. And it's like an epic game of musical chairs. Like you're just all kind of jockeying for position. Once it's time for dinner, you like sprint to the chair that you can get it. This is what's happening at the party and Jesus is observing it. And in that, those days, there were particular chairs that were deemed more honorable at the head of the table. And so everybody's trying to get that chair so that they can be deemed the most honorable person there and people would have to look up to them. So they're trying to kind of cheat their way into doing that. So this epic game of musical chairs is happening and Jesus is watching it all unfold. And as he sees this happening in his perfectly Jesus way, he gives a good description of what to do. He says this, When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. Humility. Not thinking too highly of yourself is God's direction for the long game. Humility doesn't mean you slack or you think too little of yourself. It means you have a good understanding of your own ability. You work hard. You honor others. And you trust that God in time will reward you. As opposed to trying to kind of cheat your way or, or get that reward before it's time. The long game, it's always better. God's way of, of not taking shortcuts always pays off in the long term. That's one example. Here, here's another from Proverbs. It's Proverbs 29, 25, about how God's ways are better. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. It's kind of an odd line, isn't it? 
Fearing people is a dangerous trap. I read that this last week, and I thought, you know, there are times where it seems like fearing people is a really good idea. Like you meet some really big buff dude in a back alley somewhere, and he's like really angry. You meet this guy in the back alley somewhere, and you're looking around, and, and you're kind of scared. I think his picture's coming up here in a second. Yes? There he is. Okay. You don't want to meet this guy in a back alley somewhere, and he's like cursing and frustrated and flexing his muscles and yelling out loud. You don't want to meet him there. You would be wise to be afraid and run the other direction, right? There are times when being afraid of certain individuals seems like a good idea. So what is this verse talking about? What is it saying here? Maybe it's slightly different than that first initial idea. Maybe it's not so much about fearing some guy in a dark alley. Maybe it's about not giving people too much authority in your life. For example, say you work in an office, and someday at the office, uh, your boss comes up to you, and they say there's this particular thing you always do. Your boss wants to do it a slightly different way. And as you hear your boss tell you this, you think to yourself, man, that seems a little off. Like, that might not be totally right. It seems a little shady, a little rough. Like, I, I maybe am doing something wrong by doing this, but this person's your boss. They're telling you to do it that way, so you think, I'm just going to do it. It's fine. It'll be okay. So you do it. And then the next day, the boss comes up to you and says, hey, you know how we switched it the other day? Uh, we're going to do that every day from now on out. You feel a little weird about it. It feels a little uncomfortable. You know it's probably not quite right, but you do it because it's your boss. And then you do it another day. And with each passing day, it gets a little bit easier. And your boss knows that you've done something for them, so you, you kind of are in with the boss now. And they give you maybe a little extra perks here or there. And it feels like it's working out really well for you. And you don't feel so bad because you do it so often. It just seems like not a big deal until uh, the audit happens or the investigation starts or a new boss steps in. Suddenly, in that moment, you're trapped. Because you let somebody else, out of fear, cause you to do something that you knew wasn't right, that you knew you shouldn't do. You're trapped. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, and that can happen in the workplace. It can happen in so many other areas of life. When we let others bully us into doing things we know are wrong, we are putting our trust in someone other than God. When we do that, we're, we're giving someone more authority than we're giving to God because we know God says it's not right, but this person is telling me to do it, but because I'm afraid of them, I'm going to listen to them. In the long run, it doesn't work. Eventually, it, it runs out. We should have listened to God. Who we give authority to in our lives matters. That's why fearing people is a dangerous trap. That's also why all throughout Proverbs, it says fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Over and over again, that's what it talks about. And, and we can understand that, that God is the ultimate source of authority. We're to look to him to guide our lives, not any other person. In chapter 30, Solomon adds this extra chapter of one of two to his book of Proverbs. It's not written by him. It's written by somebody else. But it echoes that same kind of thing that Solomon was writing. It's actually the opposite side of why we should not fear people. It says this in Proverbs 35 through 6. It says, Every word of God proves true. 
He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. Basically, what it's saying is, God protects and guides those who hold tightly to his words. He protects them. He guides them. There's this great example of this. Uh, The disciples, they've been teaching about Jesus. Jesus had already died on the cross and risen again. They find out about this. They're excited about this. So they begin to teach everybody everywhere about this and, and proclaim it. Hey, Jesus is this new way. He's the Messiah we've all been waiting for. He's who you can put your trust in and to have lead your life. The, the kingdom of God is coming in him and it's started in him. And, and as you do this, as you follow him, he, he gives you salvation. He changes the way you can live your life now. It's amazing. You should believe in Jesus. Life-changing Jesus. And so they're out there teaching this and and talking about all the ways that the scriptures throughout time have pointed to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they hear this and they don't like it. Because who is this Jesus guy for starters? And then second, it seems like what they're doing is is changing the course of our our faith in a way that's going to make us obsolete. All this information we have, all this authority we have, it's kind of going away. We don't like this. So they send some guards to where, where the disciples are teaching. They, they take those disciples and bring charges against them, bring them before the high council. And there the disciples are in front of this high council of people, and they're being interrogated and told, you, we told you not to teach in the name of Jesus. We shouldn't be teaching in the name of Jesus. We're going to take you out back very shortly here, and we're going to pick up some stones and do you in. You need to stop doing this or else. And Peter's response says this, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Those are some bold words said to someone who has the power to pick up some stones and do you in, and that's like the right thing for them to do in their minds. That's some bold words. So there they are. They've got those charges. They, they're about ready for this all to happen. And Peter stands up and, and says those words. And, and it's like the climax of the whole moment. And it's about to get ugly. And Peter and the disciples have been standing on this word of God. They've said, God, you're our shield. You're who we're going to hold tightly to. What you say matters more than what these people say. And at the last moment... This, this individual, this well-respected man, speaks up. He talked about how these, these other people had uh, come to power and had been like, oh, maybe this is the, the guy. And then he, he had passed away, he had died, and, and all of his followers kind of scattered. And so he says this. He says, so my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. In that moment, everything changes. This heightened moment where everything's looking ugly, the room deflates. Everybody agrees that it's a wise idea. They still scold the disciples and punish them in some ways, but they send them with their lives. And the disciples leave that day praising and worshiping God because he had so obviously protected them and so obviously 
guided them. Peter and the disciples, they stood strong on a promise of God. They held tightly to Jesus' words. They played the long game. And, and this wise man sees God's power at work. The disciples walked free, praising God. They, they bet on the house, and the house always wins. We can experience the same power of God in our own lives. It doesn't always have to be quite as dramatic, but in our lives we'll face situations where we have to choose who to put authority in, who to give our authority to. And when we choose God, we can know that he will see us through to the end. We can trust his words over the warnings or temptations we hear from other people. So my question for you this morning is this. Where do you need to play the long game in life? Where do you need to trust God more than you trust people? Where do you need to give God more authority than these other individuals in your life that are trying to tell you how you should live your life? Where do you need to choose humility over pride? Think about those things for a moment. Think about them and, and, and let them settle in because we're going to come back to that in a moment. And while you're thinking about that, while you're deciding on that, we have one more chapter to talk about, one more chapter we get to look at. And that's uh, Proverbs 31, uh, which is the final chapter of Proverbs. In Proverbs 31, it says this to start. Proverbs 31.1, it says, The sayings of King Lemuel contain this message which his mother taught him. I just love that. I think that's awesome. Uh, the problem is it could also be titled this. It could, the title of Proverbs 31.1 could be, how to be a king, and how our daughter-in-law will never live up to her mother-in-law's standards. Uh, that could also be the title. could be either of those. The sayings, they, they start out great. They start out with these warnings for a king and how they should take care of their kingdom. They say, hey, be careful with alcohol. Uh, make sure that you're speaking up for people who can't speak for themselves. It actually says that specifically, 31, 8 through 9. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. I mean, this is very sound stuff. This is, this is a great picture of what a leader should look like. If we're looking for a person that's going to lead well, that's a great indicator of, of who to follow. As you read through it, though, it begins to change, and it starts to talk about what kind of a uh, person or a woman uh, this king should marry, uh, what, that, what she should look like, and kind of the standards that she has. And there's some pretty high standards uh, for starters, she's supposed to be up really early every day, taking care of the household, making sure all the chores are going to get done, everything's going to be set. That's one. She's always supposed to be working. Uh, she's always supposed to, while working, look really put together and very nice, so that's there. Uh, she's supposed to be kind, uh, but then she's also supposed to be stern and command authority. This is kind of who she is. Uh, she's supposed to help others, oh, and be an expert weaver and sewer and knitter and, and who works and makes an income and has all of her dealings turn a profit. Like if she buys a field, she should make sure that the vineyard ends up making a profit. That's on her. And then also, in addition to that, on the side, she should be making her family clothing and blankets to make sure that they're warm in the winter and we're just kind of getting warmed up. So any takers on uh, any of you want to marry King Lemuel? Anybody? You're excited about that? A kid, and you can laugh, right? It's, it's okay. Uh, before we dismiss it all as this, this too perfect of a standard, which in some way it is, and Proverbs itself is too perfect a standard, and it's kind of the point, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we dismiss it all, there are these two verses that as you read through it, 
that remind us of the purpose of it all. These couple verses that remind us and point us back to uh, the fact that we can't live perfectly up to these standards that, that are set, standards that the whole book of Proverbs sets for all of us, but, but there's this underlying truth here that kind of grounds it all for us. And we kind of get at it with this first verse of Proverbs 31, 25. It says, She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. She laughs without fear of the future. I don't know what it is, but I really like that verse. Every time I've read it, I've read it a dozen times through my life. That verse hits me every time, and I think to myself, I want to laugh like that. I mean, who wouldn't want to laugh without fear of the future? I imagine what it would be like. It'd be like the deepest, fullest belly laugh you've ever experienced. So for a moment, I can't force you to laugh, but I I can maybe, I thought for just a minute this morning, help you feel that feeling, what that feels like. So I'm going to ask you just for a minute, close your eyes, close your eyes, take a nap if you want, that's fine, I'll wake you up in a little bit, but close your eyes, and I want you to imagine for just a moment, all those things that you feel that are weighing you down, those fears you've got that have been stacked on your shoulders for however long, something that's coming up for work, something with family life, something that you just don't know how it's going to get solved and you've been worried, sick about it, but it's there on your shoulders. It's weighing you down. It's been that way for a long time. I want you to imagine that being like this this bar on, on the back of your shoulders and you've been carrying it. Now I want you to imagine for just a moment God's hand. And I don't know what that hand looks like to you, but, but God's hand reaching down and picking up that bar and throwing it off you. It's off. You can feel your shoulders lighten up. You can feel like you can take a deep breath. You've been exhausted from it. There's, there's just this feeling, right? And, and in this moment, as you feel that lightness, that weightlessness, for just a second, you can open your eyes and you can look at me and, and you can know that you can smile. And like feel that, right? Doesn't that feel so incredible just to know that God's got it? And he's lifted it off your shoulders and he's, he's taken it away and he's responsible. You're trusting him to carry it. I think it's amazing. Who doesn't want to laugh without fear for the future? There are these ideals here that are described, they sound incredible, strength and dignity, laughing without fear of the future. Where does she get it? Where does she find the ability to do that? It's right here in verse 30. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Fear of the Lord. Giving God authority in our lives. The long game. Betting on the house to win. Knowing that it's the house that always wins. Knowing that it's God that always wins over any trouble we face. In the end, following God is where we find it. Where we can trust God and know that he'll take care of it. So I ask you this morning, where can you trust God like that more in your life? Last weekend, 
we had our, our RCC picnic, and then we also had the baptisms that followed, and it was, it was awesome. It was such a great day. It was so much fun. Like 300-some people out there eating and chowing down on great food, kids bouncing in the, in the bouncy castle, swimming, all the fun stuff. Uh, it, it was just a, a fantastic time. And uh, then after that part of it, we had the baptism, and, and it's just something special because that's what they're doing. They're saying in front of these people, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him with my life. I'm giving God authority over my life. He's the one I'm looking to lead me, looking to to lead me in this life and then all the way into salvation, all the way into eternity spent with him. I'm trusting him. I'm betting on the house. I'm betting on God to win because he always wins. And it is such a profound thing for people to say publicly in that way through baptism. And it was really great. We actually have a couple minute uh, clip of, of what that looked like this last weekend. Check it out. Yeah, you can clap. It was an awesome day. It was so much fun. Uh, what's great about it most of all, though, is that each of those people, what they're saying is this. I can't do this on my own. I just can't. I've tried. It, it, it doesn't work. I need Jesus to lead me. I'm, I'm playing the long game. I'm betting on the house. I'm trusting Jesus because I know Jesus wins. And some days I feel like we, we've got that. Some days maybe we're off a little bit. Uh, maybe some days you have to do it for a very first time. You have to put your trust in Jesus. And so as we close, I'm just going to, Pray that simple prayer that if you're here this morning and, and that's what you've already said at some point in your life, that you would say, this week I'm going to work really hard on putting the authority of my life in Jesus' hands because some days I forget to do that. Uh, and maybe for you this morning, you're, you're going to do that for the very first time. You're going to say, I believe in Jesus. Forgive me for the things I've done. I'm going to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me this new life. You can do that. You can put the authority into Jesus' hands. Trust him with your life. If you want those things for yourself, would you pray along with me? Dear God, thank you. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us in Proverbs that we've spent this summer learning. We are so grateful for that. We know we can't live up to every one of those standards. But your son makes us right. Your son is the one who says we are clean. We are made right with you. We can follow you and trust you. So today, Jesus, that's, that's what we say to you. We, we say we trust you. Help us to place you in the authority position in our life, day in and day out. Guide us, lead us. Thank you for making us part of your family. And we just ask that we'd be able to trust you day in and day out, and that we, as we do, you would come through, that you would help us to navigate life's ups and downs. Uh, most of all, though, God, that we could trust you for, for a life that's lived all the way into eternity following you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.